Hello and welcome to The Double Life. I'm John Bussar and this is episode one. This week we talked to John Banez about being an outdoor enthusiast, a photographer, and environmental advocate. We talked to him about being a documentary filmmaker, what it's like to balance working at Tesla, and pursuing a passion in the field of media. This is episode one, and well, welcome to The Double Life. So you're a solar roofer at Tesla Motors. You're you install solar panels, which is kind of like the job that you do. But mm-hmm. passion of yours and kind of how I know you as is just like a photography guru and a media like just genius when it comes to like really capturing stories and being awesome with it. So what I I think your like story of how you got into it is really cool. You know, you were like 18, you got your first camera with your first paycheck. Uh, what I was curious about was like, what motivated you to do that? You know, you were 18 years old, you're still pretty young. Did you see like photographies uh, or photographs or whatever, stories or different things in media or other people that you're like, oh, that's awesome. I want to do that. Or I think I have the skill set to do something like that. Um. I would say I would attribute my interest in being behind the camera to my friend Ryan. Like he bought a Nikon back in high school, and all I wanted to do was like play with this cool thing that takes photos. And back then, we just had we didn't even have any any smartphones. It was just like you had a razor or something in college, and like right. yeah. taking photos with your taking nice photos with your phone was unheard of. And so mm-hmm. the only, really the only people who could like capture another world that's not in front of you is people with a pretty expensive camera. And that was outside of my reach up until when I got my first job and saved my first couple of paychecks to buy my first Sony camera, the DSLR. I still remember the color. I think my sister still has the camera, but yeah, the, there's this also, um, you know, the music group. MGMT, they have this song called Kids. What they did was they did a bunch of long exposure photography, put it into a you know, like a time lapse kind of thing, hyperlapse, mm. and they had fireworks going on. And it was just like light long exposure light photography. And that was like the one thing I wanted to do when I when I first got a camera. And I did. Uh took a bunch of long exposure photography with my friend Julie, who happens to be Ryan's longtime girlfriend. And then just kept on going from there. I just posting photos on the ground. The ground was a big, the ground was like a big part in how I got interested in photography and how I got recently burnt out as well as brought back in because it evolved from this amazing portal where you can post photos. And what is this? Wait, what? The ground? Instagram. Oh, the gram. Instagram. Okay. I Continue, feel like our sorry. generation calls it the calls it the gram, and then like yeah. the generation after us calls it IG. Oh wow! And then the newer things. newer generations like, what's the gram? I'm on TikTok. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Instagram is cool because it allows us to, you know, put our like essentially a social media portfolio for photographers and creatives 
it does p- play in fact to what you do and i think that's why you have been successful in that but i don't know if you want to dive into like why you got burned out yeah. on it because obviously in the beginning it was like cool to see like oh you know i'm posting these pictures i'm getting positive response on it you know people tend to like mm-hmm. the content that i'm putting out there but i think mm-hmm. you know at least for me personally it tends to sometimes turn into like more of a job or something that you feel like you have to do and i don't know i don't know how your experience went with that See, I like where this conversation is going already because it allows me to unpack my relationship with media and photography, which has had a huge impact on my life. And yeah, I hope exactly. to continue it. And so mm-hmm. uh, thank you for, for reaching out to me and doing this. But um, back to the Court, story. No, thank about, you, man, of course. Oh, yeah. Uh, back to the story about how social media became this beast of like marketing where a lot of businesses before smartphones were like, what's social media? And all that mattered back then when you had a camera was just being good and like being able to capture the emotion you want to show or what composition you want to create. But now you can do it with like any smartphone. And so I felt that kind of cheapened the experience over time. At least that's how I felt. So you felt like collectively it was interesting or it was fun to do something where it was more of a niche thing, where it was like those quality pictures that you would find on social media or whatever, on Instagram specifically, when you would go on there and you find really cool quality pictures, it wasn't coming from everyone because everyone didn't have that capability. You needed a quality professional camera to produce that type of content. But now, Mm -hmm. since cameras have essentially caught up to that, anyone can do that. So it kind of, yeah, to an extent, it does dilute the field of content. And the stuff that is coming out, it's being diluted in a field of just so much stuff that it's hard for a consumer to really, you know, pick something that they like. Or on the other end, it's hard for someone who's creating content to stick out when there's so many people out there that are doing a similar thing, right? So... Mm -hmm. I get that. I mean, it's difficult, too, to even create something nowadays and not feel like, oh, this might be a waste of time. But uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, even this, right, like, what I'm doing right now, a podcast, you know, it's like, oh, dude, that's the most original idea ever. Like, great job, you know. It's going to not be something that doesn't have a ton of competition, you know, and it's not something that is super easy back in the day, but now it doesn't require anything to do something like that. And in the same way, it doesn't require really that much to put a quality picture on Instagram. Yeah. I mean, at the end of it, it really, it, it does widen the pool of people who have access to like post and create quality content, but it also at the same time, it, it really shows who's dedicated to it. Right. Yeah. And I think the message that people are trying to convey with the content they're producing becomes more apparent, you know? I think it's really easy to tell if someone is in it for the wrong reasons. And that's what differentiates, like, someone who is successful versus someone who may have, like, a little bit of success, but ultimately in the long run doesn't do super well. I think, you know, I mean, music is a similar concept, too, or any sort of art form where you're looking at either appreciating the art form for what it is, trying to get a story out there, trying to convey your message in some way, shape or form. That is the proper way to go about it. But I think there's a lot of musicians, writers, whatever, that look into something and go like, oh, I can't wait to 
sign photographs or sign autographs and have sold out stadiums and make all this money or whatever, you know, but that goes away from the main point of why you're creating the art in the first place. What were your motivations going into photography and art initially when you first started it? And what are your, like, what are your feelings about it now? Mm, comparing from when I first started to right now, that's a good question. Uh, when I first got into it, I just wanted to take cool photographs. Like I thought it was, I guess I idealized it in my head and then I kind of sort of fell into the composition of it, like telling a story with just a snapshot and viewing this, like photographs before digital cameras were a snapshot in time. And it's very, it was, it was very rare to have like a camera back in like 1950s. You would be like, oh, you have a camera? Like, can I see some of your photos? And then now it's like, hey, you have a, you have an Instagram. Are you a model? Sarcastic. Right. Yeah. Um, back then, I just viewed, I was like, I have a camera. I'm going to go do the best I can and get better over time. And now I just want to mm -hmm. tell stories to stories about the passions, I, passions and goals I have in life um, include like sustainability and um, generally earth bearing things. And so I want to tell stories relating to that or supporting or purveying it with a camera, whether it be photography or videography, I haven't really still on that journey. I want to tell stories that compel people to be mindful about our, our consumption and a relationship with our earth. You know, it was like a big thing that if you can go back in time and tell yourself, you're like, man, I wish someone told me that. Um, keep shooting. Like you're only, uh, you have unlimited memory. And I used to like, I used to be very, very careful with my shots, like only single shot and like waiting for the right moment. But I now realize that memory, like SD cards are infinite. Mm -hmm. It's just yeah. a matter of putting in the work of how many shots you want to do. And eventually you're going to get, you'll get better. I think something I really struggled with initially when I really wanted to go out and like do photography and go out and find stories and take pictures of people was how do you create those stories? How do you create that reason to go out and take pictures? Do you just like blindly go out into you know, a city or whatever and kind of just see what happens and capture the moments and talk to people? Or is it you plan something out, have a photo shoot type situation, or is it kind of just mixture, spontaneous, whatever kind of situation? I'd say when I first started, it was a spontaneous endeavor. And now I seek to create images by like researching the spot. Or if I'm feeling like street photography, capturing a moment in time, uh, really, it's about telling a story with light. Because at the bottom of it, photography is just the capture of light. And yeah. I feel like like the coveted golden hour, uh, where all the light is even, not harsh, <laughs> not harsh lighting. But I feel like when you go on an adventure, like when you go on an adventure and capture that moment that summarizes your entire adventure in one photo, I I feel very satisfied. 
That's beautiful. What do you, I mean, with photography and everything, it's difficult, I don't know, to create a career out of this, right? Something that you can actually make money and sustain yourself. Mm-hmm. How do you see that coming about? Do you see it coming from being a photographer for Tesla or for an outdoor company? Or do you see it as something where you're just going to do freelance jobs for different companies or people? How do you, how do you envision that for yourself? That's so funny you ask that because uh, once you, it's been on the back of a mind buying a phot- photography, like a professional photo printer, like something I could print at full size, like 13 by 19. Wow. High quality yeah, images. Geez. And um, about Maybe this is this has come up at like this past year. I was like, I want to save up for this so I can print my grandma some nice portraits. And I did. Uh, yesterday was my grandma's birthday celebration, and I printed her out like a huge 13 by 19 portrait of her family, the grandkids. And Jeez, dude, that's amazing! Wow, that's super cool. Yeah, she yeah, loved dude. it. Amazing, um, yeah. It's a whole it's a whole new new field of printing, but um, it's actually thanks to you it kind of spurred me to to look for a photo printer. And I found one on sale uh, like three days ago in Riverside and I bought it on the spot. Nice, man. And wow. Came with all extra goodies. Um, it's like a Canon, it's huge, probably bigger than two computer, like CP or uh, two computer towers put together at Jeez. 40 pounds. Like a proper uh, professional printer. Yeah. The box is like I could sleep in this box. Dang, dude. That's cool, man. I'm glad I like inspired you in some way, shape, or form to go out and, you know, try to go for it. That's cool, dude. You inspired me too, which is the beautiful thing about a community, you know, of artists is like you see what your peers and your friends are doing and you go like, oh, that's awesome, you know? And then you kind of look back at like what you're doing and go like, okay, cool. So, you know, blah, blah is doing that, which means like I should, you know, I don't have any reason not to keep going and pursuing what I want to do, which is cool. You know, I like, I really like that. I think that's the difference between a city where you have a bunch of creatives and artists and people that are pursuing these dreams versus an area that something like that is unheard of. You know, like everyone after high school goes to college, gets a job, gets married. Like being an artist or being a creative or having like a side hustle while you're being an artist and like, you know, not being super like just, I don't know, in for lack of a better word, like having financially not being super comfortable, but still being happy with your life and content with your life and understanding that you're doing or working towards something that will make you happier in the long run because it's something that you're passionate and you love, you know? Yeah. It's definitely repaired, uh, helped repair my relationship with photography because I used to just post on the internet in hopes of likes and I felt empty after a while. And like right. having a photographic print that I took and like I chose the paper and I'm still mastering the craft of printing because there's a whole bunch that goes in it, but it makes me be able to like hold a photograph and view it. And the, right. the act I of think, giving the photograph to someone is like, is a pretty big, good feeling. Totally. I think like physical media in general is always just feels more... I don't know. It feels like you actually have it. You have control over it. It feels like it's something that you own personally. And I feel like it has more. Yeah. Yeah. And I was talking, or there's a question in one of my classes where we were talking about uh, like copyright and people like stealing stuff and how that's prevalent or whatever. But I think nowadays 
streaming and stuff has allowed it to make it something where this generation of people that are growing up don't know the concept of physical media. So they grow up with this idea that like, hey, if I want to listen to a song, all I have to do is hop on the computer and I can listen to whatever song I want. If I want to watch a movie, same concept, you know, go on my TV, click a movie, whatever, I can watch it. They don't understand the concept of like physical media. They didn't grow up with CDs, DVDs, records, you know, tapes, different things like that, books, whatever. They grew up with books to an extent, but it isn't as popular. So for a generation like that, it's all digitized, you know, money's digital. They have credit cards, debit cards, Venmo, whatever whatever uh media is all digital everything's at the their fingertips but whereas like me and you we grew up with like you go to tower records and you buy a cd and you like listen to the cd and you check out the cover art and you go and like collect these things that you like and it has a special feeling to it because you tie that piece of art or whatever to a time and place in which you first either attain that item or you listen to that song I don't think that's there anymore. I don't feel that no. the same. You know, I'll listen to a song for the first time and I'll be like, oh, cool. But I listened to it on Spotify when I was heading to, you know, wherever I needed to go in my car. That doesn't have the same special feeling as like physically going to a place, buying a CD, admiring the art, putting it in like a CD player, right? And sitting in a room and listening to it and going, wow, this is awesome. And having a proper appreciation for it. So, yeah, yeah man, I think that has a little bit to do with it as well. It's that lack of physical stuff. And being able to touch it gives it more mm -hmm. sentimental value rather than looking at it through a screen. Like the screen is like your phone, your computer is just a portal, right? You see into this portal, it always changes. But you look into a photograph, into a book, it's there in front of you. Yeah. Permanent. It captures a moment. I think, yeah, dude, I mean, it's really cool to see pictures in books, right? The historical pictures, which I think about. And then, but like, imagine having that original picture, right? Like the original role or whatever on that piece of film. Like, that's amazing. That feels way more authentic to me than like, oh, here's a digital like scan of the picture. That's yeah. cool. But it'd be cooler to have like the film role that, you know, some war journalists took in World War II that has black and white pictures of, you know, historical events that took place. That mm -hmm. is amazing to me, you know. But, yeah, I mean, tying it to you getting this printer and, like, following with this whole printer thing, do you, I think you can create something, right, with a whole, you can yeah. be that person that people can go to, whether it's an Etsy-type thing, whether it's a... I don't know. I don't know. What were your, did you think into that or is it something that you kind of just wanted to still get yeah, into um, before you really try to monetize I, it or whatever? I wanted to give, originally I wanted to buy the printer so I can print out things for myself. So I can like put it up on my wall. Like uh, I'm looking into buying uh, a decent sized uh, frame and a way to like frame it. Uh, my girlfriend also does a ton of arts and crafts she makes jewelry and i have this idea of making this frame that's like only two pieces and it holds the photograph between it and it's mounted oh, on the wall cool. yeah so it's like imagine like a scroll that you open up your wall and it sticks there via yeah. either sticky thing and mm -hmm. having like embedded led lights that kind of glow into the photo to keep like lighten it up yeah no, that's cool i'm all about it that's dope dude no, I mean, I think about that, too, is I, 
Man, all those cool pictures that I took when I went on my trip, I was like, I want those on my wall. You know, I want like a physical thing of it. It's cool to have it in my, you know, Google Drive, but that's not the same as having a physical picture that I can hang on my wall or, you know, hold on to. I don't know why, but it does definitely have more of a sentimental value to it. So, and I think a lot of people are also following that trend of like having this mentality of this whole nostalgic approach to like appreciating things that we wouldn't necessarily appreciate or that our parents might think are weird i remember telling my mom like hey i want to be you know i want to get a record player and a film camera and you know all these things and she's like what the heck like that's what i grew up with and technology has advanced to a point where you guys don't need to do that anymore that's the whole point but now we're like no dude we want you know physical books and pictures that are printed out and records and vinyls and cds and like i don't know it feels scary to me almost, which is why I want to hold on to a little bit of the past because I feel like media is coming to such a scary point where I don't know how familiar it will be in five years or 10 years, you know? So yeah. I want something familiar to be there. <laughs> like you can't <laughs> change a book, you know? You can't change like a record. Those are grooves that are physically fucking in there, you know? So it's like, yeah, that's not going to change. You know, but like with digital media, all that's kind of freaky. And there's that weird little gray area of like, we don't know what's going to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Especially with like fake news, like in recent years. Like, oh, yeah. That is just like a way to manipulate what's in front of you. Like, you think that this article is real. You think that like these pictures and photographs are real, but they could just be fake news. Yeah. Or, I don't know, dude, we can get into some weird, like, Joe Rogan-type conversation right now where, like, oh, it's all just a figment of our imagination, and everything's <laughs> fake. We're living in a simulation. <laughs> Did you ever watch the Joe Rogan explaining Hunter S. Thompson's, like, day-to-day life? Have you seen that? Was it about uh, how much, like, how much drugs he did? Oh, yeah. Like, his little cocktail of stuff that he does throughout the day. Heineken. Uh, two margaritas, coleslaw, a taco salad, double order of fried onion rings, carrot cake, ice cream, a bean fritter, Dunhills, another Heineken, cocaine. And for the rest of the ride home, a snow cone. 10 p.m., <laughs> drops acid. <laughs> 11, 11 p.m., chartreuse, I don't know what that is, cocaine and grass. 11.30, cocaine, etc., etc. 12, midnight, Hunter S. Thompson is ready to write. Wow. That's when he sits down to write. 12.05 to 6 a.m., he writes. Do you attribute his writing prowess to the drug? I attribute, like, him as a person, like, just kind of that edgy, somewhat crazy, yeah, definitely pretty manic personality that he has. I, I attribute that to drugs. I think who he has, who he is as a person just in general is probably pretty heavily influenced by drugs. I think his writing, man, I don't know. Dude, he was doing so much, like, drugs and stuff. And then for both of them, I think towards the end of their lives, it was more, like, psychological, just paranoia about the government and different things. I don't know Hemingway, or I don't know uh, Hunter S. Thompson's, like, situation with that too much, but I know Hemingway's was warranted because he, like, the FBI had a legitimate file on him for a really long time. But he was also, Mm -hmm. like... Working with weird people and I don't know, like supposedly a Russian spy and all that stuff, but who knows? Oh, they all had interesting lives. 
right which is cool and i think that's an awesome part and i think they did really really cool stuff for the art form i don't think they're mm-hmm. the best role models to grow up and you know be really into but at the same time it is an appreciation when it comes down to it you know and it is connected to what we were talking about before too you know it's like these people had a passion and desire to like just get a message out there it had nothing to do with like getting rich or getting famous or whatever you know like Hemingway didn't give a care like about being super rich or famous neither did Hunter S. Thompson they just wanted to like do drugs and hang out and like tell stories and like that's cool that's a proper way of going into something and I think that's why they were successful and were able to like do it properly right same thing with like mm-hmm. William Burroughs and all these other eccentric authors that had yeah interesting lives Bukowski like Charles Bukowski yeah. I don't think he became or like wrote a proper book until he was like in his 40s or 50s and had a very interesting life and it wasn't positive at all and uh yeah, he started writing when he was like 40 or 50 and wrote a book and like became an author and he's still someone that we remember to this day you know but it's not like he had this magnificent life of always knowing what he wanted to do of following the right track of making the right decisions you know that's hard to find the kelly slaters of the world are hard to find the you know the really clean cut perfect like how is that possible kind of thing cristiano ronaldo the Lionel messi you know those kind of people are like outliers those are freaks of nature that like don't exist oh yeah i agree uh, we all just are trying to survive and do our best and be kind to each other. I think it's cool to like, I mean, from an artistic standpoint, you, I think artists have a little bit more empathy towards people and, you know, the world and society and stuff. So that's why I like to talk to people that are like creatives and artists and stuff. Do you ever find that you like bump heads with like someone artistically? How does that make you feel? Hmm. Yeah, uh, recently I uh, attempted to make my first documentary about uh, bikepacking film and the way I see it and like how it wants to be delivered is different from the people who actually experience. I experienced it from a camera brand's perspective, but the people act- who actually biked it, who were the subjects of the film, experienced it differently. So we're uh, sometimes at odds at how we want this to play out, but ultimately we want the same goal of like making a documentary that has a purpose of enlightening people of the possibilities and adventure that is bikepacking. Like Mm -hmm. you can cover way more ground on a bike and carry way more equipment than if you are backpacking. Right. What was a really like crazy experience that happened while you're on that trip that you remember going like oh fuck like <laughs> it was insane there had to have been something that had a crazy situation even whether it's from a cameraman perspective or someone on the treat like actual trip or whatever yeah i mean i think the craziest part of it was i was in the middle of nowhere with like <laughs> running on a shoestring budget hardly any money and like no life no no health insurance so if anything would happen, then like we're sticking our heads out of this truck following these guys. Granted, we weren't going very fast, but we had a ton of equipment. And like mm-hmm. my cameraman was driving and I was in the back, like holding a gimbal on top of this truck bed, trying to hold down in a bumpy road in the desert. And yeah, we had a 
I mean, I even brought a, a self-defense pistol for bears in the middle of the woods. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Dang. Eventually got confiscated by the cops. Almost got arrested. Wow. Wow. That's probably, that was probably the craziest part. Like, we were heading back from Canada to the U.S., and I forgot I had the pistol in the back of my trunk, and they looked there, and I didn't claim it. And so they assumed I was trying to hide it. And so they put us in uh, handcuffs for a little bit and, like, got stuck there at the border for, like, four hours and eventually got out uh, my pistol wow. was confiscated i avoided like a four thousand dollar fine Dang. and we drove like 23 hours home straight wow all right that's how you ended the trip was that yeah <laughs> wow jeez man that's cool though but do you feel like it was something that you know you had a vision of documentary filmmaking beforehand before you dove into it and then once you were a part of it and you experienced it and had your first go about it. Was it what you thought it would be? Is it something that you still want to continue to pursue or did it change your perspective about documentary filmmaking? I was in it to tell a story, take rad photos. I have a whole bunch of photos I haven't published because we're waiting for this documentary to, uh, to be finished so I can like help promote it with these photos I, I have. Mm-hmm. And I eventually want to gift the all the members participated. I want to gift them like portraits of themselves or like them in an environment uh, to yeah, commemorate. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And um, sell prints of some photos for people who are interested in supporting the documentary and myself as a as a creative. But mm-hmm. I feel that I jumped in head first into like the biggest project one of the biggest projects of my life like two weeks on the road had to plan everything had to basically be a full-time job like uh feeding myself as well as uh taking footage of the subjects as well as packing up and packing down and like having all the food and everything ready it was probably the the hardest like two weeks of work in my life because it was just non-stop adventure and filming <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't replace it or wouldn't uh i would do it again in a heartbeat right do you think it was the best way to start out an experience in filmmaking in this way do you think it was like the proper introduction into like hey this is what like this is going to entail this is the kind of life that you signed up for this will definitely speed things up like a crash course like it's this documentary is going to be done one way or another. Like I can't just like dropping this entire project means like I wasted two weeks of that month of my life in, in the wilderness. So I'm pretty dedicated to like seeing this thing through and what I learned from this experience, I will carry on to the next documentary and, and make it even better. What are like some key pieces of advice that you would have for someone who's like, going into documentary filmmaking for the first time or having a similar experience that you had? I would say have a proper organizational structure for all your clips and everything. Because currently I'm sorting through 72 hours of footage across three hard drives to pick out the best moments. And so it's a lot of scrubbing through footage, uh, having the proper equipment to sort through all the footage and just generally be ready for anything that happens. and. Do you have any tech advice? Like, what uh, what does proper 
equipment i don't know if you don't want to give away your secrets or whatever but like what is one piece of equipment that you're like i have to have this or like maybe a couple things that if you're going on a trip what does john banyas not leave the house without Mm. extra batteries Mm. Mm -hmm. and sd cards batteries sd cards and especially long lens for this situation long lens so did you do primarily like the photography aspect and your friend or the other guy on the project he did the film aspect of it or was it you guys kind of incorporating both of it originally i just had him sign on as his first big documentary and i wanted to take a back seat and just compose the shots and do the storyline but it would quickly became overwhelming because i wanted to do photo- photographs mainly and i got a good amount of photographs but i ended up just being second cameraman for most of the, most of the time mm-hmm. do you think that what would be your dream project if you were to like you know do a project and go out whether it's traveling somewhere whatever you know what would be your dream project if you could you know budget whatever was an issue and you can produce it and get the team together what would you do a documentary on i'd say if if anything could be featured on the patagonia page like if patagonia can put their name on it and i could be the one filming it that'd be my ideal project um why patagonia i truly believe in their mission uh, and how they uh, support their conservation and sustainability efforts through a clothing line. I like how they evolved from just making the best possible clothes at like uh, the most sustainable practices to being full on like purveyors, a full media company that like spreads the good message. And they are the first plan corporation and a plan b corporation is the first uh it's like company that is dedicated to supporting the community that it's within nice okay you want to elaborate on that what does that mean exactly yeah um it basically means that patagonia is dedicated to best business practices um making sure everybody has fair trade wages they're sourcing the right uh equipment they're sourcing the uh, cotton from organic fields that doesn't do any damage to the environment or not have as little excess waste as possible and they really put people over profit nice do you think as a company that is very environmentally conscious and they are you know very outspoken about Oh, even political things, you know, like your president has failed you and different things like these, these campaigns that Patagonia has put together. Um, this, I think, outspoken perspective view on stuff that is very unwavering, which I think is commendable from Patagonia, you know, to not be influenced by other companies around them or, you know, what might be peer pressure from other companies. It is something that I think Patagonia has stood very firm with their you know, approach to how they view the world, how they view consumerism and like just business in general. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, dude, I, I mean, 
how would you, if it wasn't Patagonia, if you were to start your own company and you would have like a one sentence mission statement that would embody what you are trying to achieve, what would that be? Hmm. I'd probably have to do multiple revisions of this because this is like, this is like a log line, log line. What would be your like goal then? What would you want to like pursue? You know, not, not necessarily a broader spectrum of the environment but a more specific field within the environment what do you want to like focus on i know you worked with Surfrider foundation do you want to do ocean environmental you know type of advocacy and or does it something that's more of a broad like something else i'd say living with your local environment like um because community is really what builds sustainability. Like you can have a household doing all the sustainable things like going plastic free, reducing a carbon footprint, but that's only one household. But if that household can connect to another household, another household and like kind of create a community with a common purpose of reducing your carbon footprint, I'd say in that field. Got it. Whether I mean, it be, yeah. Whether it's like growing your own veggies in your backyard, composting, uh, getting solar panels on your roof, uh, less consumption overall. Do you think that if that's possible? Do you think, I mean, ultimately from, you know, obviously you can't predict the future, but your own opinion, do you think it is possible that we're going to be in a position where we can influence people to make the positive and right steps towards you know a better future environmentally for us or do you think it's really hard to see something happening that could reverse what has happened um, i think in light of this covid crisis it's really shown the cracks in society and what we really need rather than that new iphone or your computer or like what do you call those clothes that only last a season fast fashion. uh yeah something like that fast fashion sure yeah and uh really puts into perspective what's what's most important and i really believe that with community um i'm gonna my ultimate goal is to own a piece of land that is pretty much off grid with like a bunch of people who share the same ideals. Um, you ever seen the, the movie, The Biggest Little Farm? No, I haven't. Is it good? It's pretty good. It's a it's produced and backed by Universal, and it's a okay. couple who got evicted from their apartment in Santa Monica because they had a dog. Hmm. So, uh, the couple has always wanted a piece of land, and so they use this opportunity to buy like a massive basically dead farm in Ventura County, north of LA. And the soil was dead. Uh, it was a result of like monocropping and bad agriculture where it just sucked out the nutrients and didn't deposit it back in. And they transformed this from a dead farm into a fully self-sustaining ecosystem in seven years where it produces organic vegetables, organic fruits, um, they really sequester more carbon they than they put out. Nice, man. And then you want to ultimately create something where 
it's a self-sustaining piece of land that is, and you want it to be something that benefits the environment around it as well, like the society or the community within that region mm-hmm. in some way. Maybe create like yeah. I don't know, community farm or something. What would it be? Is that? And then also, I think you would have to do it in somewhere that wouldn't be like a city, right? You would have to move to, I don't know, where would you, where would you move to make that happen? Um, probably Colorado or Washington. I'm trying to move out to Colorado in the next year or so. Hopefully by the end of summer. That's a lofty goal, but um, small steps towards it. It's first moving mm-hmm. out there, then finding. I already have a few people in mind who would want to live with us in the land we were planning on buying a piece of land together and splitting it living on opposite ends that's cool so what does it look like the next uh the next year for you man how does it look i'd say move up the ranks in tesla uh get better pay start saving up um in the meantime keep living my Keep living my daily habits because I feel that your daily habits compound to big change. Mm-hmm. So eating right for the environment, treating your body right, um, learning every day. Nice, man. I asked you what your like essential reading for your passion was. You said Tools for Grassroots Activists. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a Patagonia book, right? Yeah. And then you had Digital Nomad, which is how to become a freelance and digital something. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, two books I picked up in the past three years that have influenced um, what I want to be like in an ideal world. I would want to be like a some sort of media guru for a nonprofit that has a good cause, or be like a consultant, uh, contribute pictures to like really anything that's for a good cause like I did photos for a surf rider for a bit I'm proud to have that in my resume um if I moved to a spot that doesn't have ocean I'd probably try to work for like the Sierra Club or spend my extra hours like helping out doing good for the community nice man and then why why are those books like essential for you why do you think those are books that people should pick up and read and get into if they're interested in you know what you're doing i'd say because the tools for grassroots activists it's a basically a summary of knowledge of this conference that patagonia has every year to give activist groups that are uh, local uh, grassroots activists uh, really giving them the tools of how to operate within the uh, corporate structure of that is america uh, and unfortunately, that that should be changed. I feel in the future, but local change is really what's what's needed to make big national change, even on a eventually on a global change. And this book gives you the experiences and like firsthand knowledge of what people did to get where they are, how they started. Gives you links and tools of um of like resources that Patagonia has. And a digital nomad is finding a way for you to work from home or from a computer, not necessarily like on site, and giving you the the tools to basically be working from the internet. 
Nice, man. And then he said, check out Chris Burkhard in average. Who's he? Who's uh, Chris? Hey, he's uh, actually, I hope he, if he eventually listens to this podcast one day, shout out to Chris for keeping me on, on this path. Um, he's a photo- surf photographer at first, and then he moved to basically landscape and big time, like, brand advocate. Um, I'd say the best way to describe him is a um, media conservationist. Like he does, he first started with film, then moved on to like video, and now he just does it all. He works with all the brands I believe in, and he doesn't try to commercialize his work. He stayed true to his mission all his entire career. Nice, man. Sounds like it. That's awesome. That embodies like a lot of what you're doing too, which I think is important too. Is you have to have someone that you look into or look up to, you know, that you kind of have sort of an idea of what it lo- looks like, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's cool, man. All right. Well, I mean, what's your last bit of like little advice you have for the listeners, and then how can they like find you, man, and kind of join your join your mission? I'd say keep shooting if you really want to make it as a photographer. Keep shooting, learn. Um, there's always going to be uh, infinite storage out there, whether it be cloud or your backup hard drive. It only stops when the battery stops, basically. I like that. I like that saying. It only stops when the battery stops. <laughs> cool, man. And then Instagram, JK Banyas, right? Mm-hmm. Any other yes. platforms you want people to hit you up on? Um, no, that's my main page. All right, dude. Simple. Nice, man. Cool. Well, hey, dude. Thank you for chatting, man. It's been a pleasure. Episode one of the Double Life. That's you, dude. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to The Double Life. As always, if you want to submit your own story, you can go to our website, thedoublelifepod.com. Join the conversation. Become, well, a part of the community. And just tune in next week. We'll talk to some more awesome people. And as always, go to thedoublelifepod.com or visit us on Instagram at thedoublelifepod. Thank you. Have a great week.